And this is a Good Story It's Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, indeed. All right. And we're, we're back in C.S. Lewis territory. This is uh, the first of three podcasts that we're going to do on uh, C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy. So we're starting with book one, Out of the Silent Planet. Planet, planet, planet. And the books are interesting because I thought that they were going to be telling one whole story, Hmm. and they're actually more like episodes of just different takes of, um, you know, one's here on Malacandra, the next one's on Paralandra, and then the third one's on Earth. But they're not holding together as one continuous story, even though Ransom is in all of them. Gotcha. So, yeah, yeah, this is uh, my first read, so... I've ah. read the first one. I have not read the other two yet. Okay. What did so, you think? I liked it. I, oh, okay. I was a little surprised by it. I don't know what I expected, and I don't know why I hadn't read it since, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so out of C.S. Lewis's fiction, you know, what I have to compare this to is um, Narnia. Mm-hmm. And it is not Narnia. <laughs> it is no. not, not at all Narnia. So Narnia was uh, allegory. Um, but this is not that. This is not like that. It's more like a H.G. Wells adults. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's for adults. That's what it reminded me of was uh, something that H.G. Wells might have written. Um, of course, but there's a lot of Christian stuff in it. Um, man, it's full of stuff. Um, so that <laughs> really differs is. a little bit with H.G. Uh, Wells. But the last time, well, we, we read War of the Worlds. And yeah. um, the, the amount of philosophical stuff that I found in, in War of the Worlds on that reading um, was here too. So, I mean, this is like a philosophical novel, um, sort of a space adventure, philosophical space adventure, I guess I'd yeah. say. Yeah. And I also, when I first read it, which was a while back and I had struggled with it, I finally had to listen to the audio to mm. be able to get into it. Mm-hmm. But once I, once they got to Malacandra, I was like, this is amazing. Hmm. This world he built, I had no idea he could do world building like this. Because I'd read the Narnia books and, you know, I read them when I was too old, um, I think. Mm-hmm. I didn't really – they're fine. And mm-hmm. so, and a couple of them I really like. But you can see all the different re- or, well, references or sources that he's pulling from to create these different worlds. And this was not like that at all. I mean, it was unlike anything I had imagined. Hmm. Yeah. I just, the originality of it was astounding, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, it reminded me a touch of like the time machine um, by Wells, you know, where he goes into the future mm-hmm. and he meets these different creatures and he's describing them and everything. Oh, I guess so. You know, I so there, hate that book so much. Uh-huh, but that, there's just this uh, similarity of, you know, here I am in a different world. I'm encountering different creatures and here's what the creature's like. And, oh, you know, yeah. Th- there yeah, yeah. That, just mm-hmm. in that aspect of it. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. And how do I manage things for myself while I'm exploring and everything? Right. You know, what can I eat? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> these, you know, concerns that you'd have. 
Well, um, and Lewis, doesn't he say at the beginning somewhere that, or he mentions he does. He that, does. yeah, it says yeah. certain slighting references to earlier stories of this type will be found in the following pages, which mm-hmm. will be found in the following pages, have been put there pure, for purely dramatic purposes. The author would be sorry if any reader supposed he was too stupid to have enjoyed Mr. H.G. Wells's <laughs> fantasies or too ungrateful to acknowledge his debt to them. So. He's clearly building off that and knows it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he does. So I I was really curious, just a quick aside, uh, I promise this won't be long, but I was really curious where this fit in with his career and stuff. So Mm -hmm. Out of the Silent Planet was written in 1938. Um, 1950 is when he wrote The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So it was 12 years later. I thought that was, yeah, Yeah. later. And then um, he did his lectures uh, that turned into Mere Christianity, that book. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that started on the radio, right? And he was doing that from August 1941 through April 1944. And then he wrote Paralandra in 43 and That Hideous Strength in 45. So he was in the midst of this collecting his thoughts into this mere Christianity, you know, what would turn into that mm-hmm. while he was writing Perlandra and that hideous strength. For sure, he was right in the thick of it. Yeah. So, And the, mm-hmm. it's funny thing to me because I, when I read it, um, I was just thrilled <laughs> to mm-hmm. find all this Christian stuff in here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how do other Christians feel about it? Or how do people who aren't Christian feel about it? And so I was looking through some things and – it seems that none of the reviewers picked up on it. He wrote Tolkien a little note that said, the secret is still there. I thought for sure it would come up and I'd be bashed for it. But nobody seems to have even <laughs> caught it. Wow. That's something. And I, yeah, and I thought it was so obvious. And then on Goodreads, I saw some stuff where somebody's like, well, I'm not a Christian, but who cares, man? This was a great story. Yeah, I can. Yeah, this is one of those things. I think that's what makes this story really good, too. Um, you know, in Narnia... Again, that's allegory, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's just, it's all right there. But here, you know, you can read it just as a good story. And then, or yeah. you can see things in it. Um, yeah. Either way, right? Well, I guess you can do the same thing with Narnia. But Narnia, mm-hmm. again, I would call that allegory where he's like, okay, the lion is Christ, you know, and this is that. Right. And this is that. And this right. event is that thing. You know, but this, this isn't like that. It's... Um, well, we'll get into what it is, but right, it's, not, yeah. it's not allegory. Right. No, yeah. he's taking a really interesting question and using this venue to think about what it would be like if there was an unfallen world, mm. which is yeah. halfway into it going, oh, well, <laughs> oh, wait, I get it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one other thing that I found that was interesting um, that I I saw just two people say this, so I don't have any backup for it. But Mm -hmm. they said, they both said that Tolkien and Lewis were talking about science fiction. And Lewis said, you know, somehow they made this little pact or whatever. He said, Lewis is going to write something about space and and Tolkien is going to write something about time. And apparently Tolkien never did publish that in his lifetime. I guess there's a story in one of the books that has come out since he passed away. Oh. Um, 
I can't remember what it was called, but um, but anyway, it would be in you know they keep publishing these volumes of stuff that they're finding <laughs> in his locker <laughs> or whatever. So, um, but Lewis wrote uh, the space well, the first one out of the Silent Planet, basically out of a conversation between them. Well, right, because toward the end, and I can't remember if it's the little, it's just the end of the book, or there's an afterword mm-hmm. that Ransom has written to Lewis, who's, you know, supposedly in this telling, he's yes. he's the mm-hmm. friend that Ransom ran into, who he told it to, and so Lewis wrote, so he's his Watson, essentially, uh-huh, uh-huh. and um, where he says something about, I guess the only way we can really travel is to travel through time, and he was kind of doing that as a setup to what Tolkien was writing. Mm, okay, but Tolkien just never finished it. You know, he's oh, yeah. leaf by niggle. He, right. he kind of starts stuff and then not finish it a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, which is why yeah. we can be so glad that Lewis kept pushing him to finish the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah, and that's what I've heard too. Okay, is that they cool. said let's write some. We hate all these stories. Let's write stories we'd like mm-hmm. to read. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good advice, too, I think. If you're <laughs> yeah. looking for a book that doesn't exist, write it. I heard some other authors say that one time. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's how they decide what to write. He was a nonfiction writer. Mm. He's like, mm-hmm. well, I was looking for a book on this, and it didn't exist, so I wrote one. <laughs> yeah. So, good Which stuff. is great. Yeah. So, what is this book about? Or what is the s- um, summary? My goodness. Okay. So, there's Dr. Ransom who is in typical English style. He's a professor. He's on holiday, and he's taking some long walk by himself with his backpack through the countryside where he can stop and spend the night at various inns or whatever, have a nice beer, bed down for the night, keep walking. Yeah, and this he's, is, a, he's a philologist, right? Oh, yes. He's mm-hmm. a philologist, which would be... Tolkien's profession, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So anyway, <laughs> he gets to the space where he, the place where he usually would have gone, and the ownerships change. They shove him out. They won't let him stay. And so he's wandering on, going, "Oh, the next town's so far away." And he sees a nearby house, and he thinks, "Oh, well, maybe there." And what he comes across is an old woman who's like, "Well, no." I don't have anywhere to stay, but if you go to this big country house, they might let you stay. And if you see my Harry, who's not quite right. And so her son is, you know, obviously mentally challenged, we'd say these days. And um, <laughs> he's unkindly later by some very cruel people called an idiot. So mm-hmm. they, uh, he says at some point it kind of crystallizes. He It's atypical for him, but he says, okay, I'm going to go. Maybe they'll let me spend the night there and I'll find Harry for you. And he has to go to a lot of trouble to do this, which I mm. found interesting. He's got to crawl under, he throw his backpack over hedge, crawl through. It's, yeah. it's annoying. <laughs> and what I winds like up that happening. Too. It's like when he threw the, the backpack over, he was like, yeah. okay, now I'm committed. No, my backpack is over there. Yeah, he's, ah, damn <laughs> yeah. it. No, I can't believe I threw that over. <laughs> and I yeah. know that feeling so well that up to the last minute, he's like, well, I'll go, but maybe I don't have to finish it. Maybe <laughs> I could just, yeah, no, you yeah. can't get out of this one. So anyway, what happens is he gets there, he hears a tussling, and they're trying to, two men, one of whom he recognizes as an old schoolmate who he disliked intensely. Mm. And he... Uh, they are trying to force Harry to do something. He makes them let Harry go. And they say, oh, yeah, come on in and have a drink with us. And he's, oh, what? Nobody's going to know where you are for the next few weeks. I'm reading this going, <laughs> no, no, don't tell him that. Don't tell him there's three weeks and nobody will know where you are. 
in a lonely country house? Come on, man. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yes, he has a drink and he's been drugged. And the next thing he knows, he's in some strange cubicle. And it turns out he's been put on a spaceship and they're going to a strange place called Malacandra with these two extremely unpleasant people. Yeah. And we don't know what's going to happen there. He gets there, he has to help them unload the ship, and they keep making these kind of sinister references to the natives and giving him to the natives, maybe. And he sees them and is totally freaked out, and he runs away. And then the whole rest of the thing is him encountering everything on the planet, un- sorting out what's really going on, what is life like on the planet, and there's a bigger picture going on, of course. And how can he possibly find his way home or what will happen to him? Mm-hmm. Does that sound? <clears throat> sure does. What, yeah. what did I leave out? Or? Um, no, you haven't left anything okay. out other than, you know, like all the philosophy and stuff that we'll talk about. <laughs> That's later. <laughs> but no, but that is definitely, definitely what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So he's kidnapped and, and brought to Mars. <laughs> Gee, that was, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> through all that. <laughs> And he doesn't know for a long time until almost the end of the book that Malacandra is Mars, I think. Yeah, he doesn't know where he's at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And it's, yeah. So. Yeah. It's interesting stuff. A lot of the details that Lewis puts in there about space travel and stuff was really interesting. It's the medievalist in him begins mm. to show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That. I don't know if that description makes it sound good. And like I say, I've had to tell people just push through the beginning if it's not grabbing you. Mm-hmm. And they've had some people have had similar experiences. I had forgotten my book club read this last year. Gotcha. And several yep. people there were like, I just kept going. And oh, once you get to the planet, if you didn't like it before, it it really changes. So that's good. That's good. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. a short book. It's not. Oh, it's yeah. not long at all. So. Yeah, mine's mm. something like 150 pages. Yeah. Kind of small type, but yeah. that's fine. <laughs> you bet. I like small type. <laughs> Do you use a magnifying glass? Just glasses. No, Sonny. I just manage it with my trifocals. Your trifocals? <laughs> that's magnifying awesome, magnifying glass. <laughs> you use a magnifying glass for the small print. I'm saying that because I need one. No, I went to my doctor. I mean, I've had glasses since fourth grade. Talk about uh, a divergence in conversation. But um, I have had glasses since fourth grade. And at some point, the doctor was like, oh, no. And you could just keep going with these. I was like, no, I want bifocals. And he's like, no, you don't want them. And I went, I can and do want mm-hmm. them. And he's like, all right, well, if you're going to do that, let's go all the way and get trifocals so you can focus up close, medium, and far away. And that's they don't have lines in them anymore like they used to. It's a great experience. That's I nice. love my glasses. So I wear reading glasses. Oh, so yeah. I have to, you know, I can't read anymore. I have to wear glasses just to read. Yeah. It's yeah. my husband. Yeah. Same way. He's, mm-hmm. you know, perfect vision. And then this is one of the things that getting older does to you. I remember reading that um, it's God's way of reminding you that you're not um, self-sufficient. Mm. Yeah. That you you need to lean on him and on other people in order to k- get by, right? Because you're not yeah. perfect, and <laughs> yeah. yes, that that happens. <laughs> and for him, it's his reading glasses, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. So I'll wear my reading glasses and a magnifying glass to, to Aww, read this. Small. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, buddy. <laughs> no. That's, that's what be, I guess you don't read in bed. That sounds like a lot to manage. <laughs> that's a lot to manage. <laughs> yeah. Here, let me get my duffel bag full of, full of reading apparatus. <laughs> and if you're reading a big book, it's all over. <laughs> hey, honey, can you hold this? I can just see Trish having to hold out one hand going, fine, is this the right angle? Now okay, can okay. I just read Turn the page. Turn the page. Faster, faster. Well, now that we've had that exciting view of Scott's home life, I hope your wife doesn't mind sharing that much with us. <laughs> Sounds great. Oh, too funny. Too oh, funny. gracious. <laughs> okay, so um, one of the things that strikes me immediately is – um, how he talks about space. Um, yes, in that I trip. love that part. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, you know, he talks about how space is normally seen as this super cold, uh, you know, uh, I guess dead, right? In fact, he actually, Vo- I yeah, just brought void. it up. He just, he calls it dead, right? You know, from, yeah. it's like science calls this just a dead blank area, right? But he's like, he looks at it as, well, this is the cradle from which all life comes. Mm-hmm. You know, how could it be dead? <laughs> and it and he loves to sit in the, you know, in the sun, you know, because it's eternally noon. Yeah. And um, he just feels so warmth, warmed by it all. Yeah. And it's, he's, doesn't he say he can almost hear noise coming in from outside? Yeah. Yeah. And um, that is kind of traceable to his love for, as a person, for this idea of the music of the spheres Mm. and the medievalists had the idea that the planets all had their own personalities or kind of alive Oh, cool! in that way, you Mm. know, and that's how they could influence things. That's how astrology worked. And I remember reading one point, he's like, they didn't have it right, but the idea is right Mm. somehow. Yeah. And so this kind of embraces that. And there's somebody who, did a study fairly recently, and I'll have to find the name of the book. I was going to pull it out, and I forgot, that fascinated me. And it was talking about how all the Narnia books are kind of based around this idea. And when you look at them through that lens, it makes them fall into place so that um, one of them is based on Jupiter. Hmm. One of them is based on Saturn. One's based on Mars, that kind of thing. And so, like, um, the one that's based on Mars, Mars was considered to be, or no... Venus, maybe, because it was like all silvery and a lot of water and a lot of, and they were like, these were all qualities that were thought to go along with Venus. Mm. And so he also, the person who did that also looked at the, these books too. And I, like I say, I should have gone and looked because that wasn't as much of an emphasis, but it really kind of made the Narnia Chronicles fall into line for me. And when you think about it based on what he says about outer space, it's kind of this beautiful idea that we're all part of the same system Mm, yeah even whether or not you go along with what you know ransom is feeling and this is he talks about it both times he's traveling so at the end it is saying the thing where you're saying um he could not feel they were an island of life journeying through an abyss of death he felt almost the opposite, that life was waiting outside the little iron eggshell in which they rode, ready at any moment to break in, and that if it killed them, it would kill them by excess of its vitality. He hoped passionately that if they were to perish, they would perish by the unbodying of the spaceship, and not by suffocation within it. 
It, to be let out, to be let free, to dissolve into the ocean of eternal noon seemed to him at certain moments a consummation even more desirable than their return to earth. And if he had felt some lift of the heart when he first passed through heaven on their outward journey, he felt it now tenfold, for now he was convinced that the abyss was full of life, in the most literal sense, full of living creatures. Hmm. Oh, and then he talks about the sounds and the unseen presences. Right, right. There's a line that I highlighted um, earlier in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. So he's feeling really good. You know, as as he's moving through yeah. space, he just starts to feel really good. Yeah. And um, it says, uh, he became aware of another and more spiritual cause for his progressive lightning and exaltation of heart. A nightmare long engendered in the modern mind by the mythology that follows in the wake of science <laughs> was falling off him. He had read of space at the back of his thinking for years, had lurked the dismal fantasy of a black, cold vacuity, the utter deadness, which was supposed to separate the worlds. He had not known how much it affected him till now. Now that the very name space seemed a blasphemous libel for this Empyrean ocean of radiance in which they swam. He could not call it dead. He felt life pouring into him from it every moment. How indeed should it be otherwise, since out of this ocean the worlds and all their life had come? He had thought it barren. He saw now that it was the womb of worlds. And I'll stop there. But Yeah. yeah he goes on to quote Milton. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I also beautiful. marked that. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It's, yeah, it made me actually think of outer space differently. Yeah, because to, to think of it as, well, yeah, this is where... This is where everything kind of sprang from. It's mm-hmm. you know, we believe God is in there, right? But mm-hmm. uh, but this is the stuff that was used. Uh, it's just to think of it that way. You're like, wow, well, wow. Well, yeah, God created it, mm-hmm. and as much as science understands of the systems, these are the systems that God. You feel like almost kind of carelessly was able to toss out there. Mm-hmm. Um, why would it not be full of life? That's the result we've had. Right. That's that's really it's poetic and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whether it's so or not, I guess is arguable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can look at this in direct contrast to that that story, the cold equations, right? Right. Which is the exact opposite. It's the, right. The universe is a clockwork of physical laws, and mm-hmm. they shall never be overcome. Yeah. Just a cold, cold. And like he work. says, if they, he, when he, the part I read where he says he hopes if they die, it's through the unbodying of the ship. He knows he can't live out there. Yeah. Yeah. But it would be okay to be absorbed into all that life, to be mm. part of all that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an embrace of right. it. Right. Yeah. And that's more that medieval mindset. And the more I've read of things like this or just uh, like Dante, you know, when we read that, some of those things, and it does make me kind of angry. I, you know, I'm fine with science. I like science. Science is good. But it has been allowed to creep in and take over areas that do kill the imagination and the soul in a lot of ways. Yeah. Not allowed to have some of those mind expanding imaginative moments. Yeah, I, I agree. It reminds me of a scene in, uh, there's a book by Umberto Eco called Faux Calls Pendulum. Mm-hmm. 
And it's a it's a scene that just sticks in my head, and I don't know if I brought it up here before. But at the very opening of this book, um, there is this pendulum, right, in a museum. Or is it a, it could be a church, I can't remember, where there's a, you know, one of these pendulums that this is forever, forever moving. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a couple, well, the main character is watching this couple experience this pendulum. And the, the, the woman is like, this is absolutely amazing. Can't you just? Isn't that amazing? And the guy has this book in his hand, and he's like, "Well, it's a point up in the air, and look at it, you know, blah blah blah." And um, then he, he said something like, "They walked away, him, his soul blunted by the book he had in his hand, uh, you know." And uh, yeah. it, it was just something that stuck in my head that, um, you know, it's just forever in there. You know, it kind of reminds you that. There is this physical explanation of everything, but um, but man, don't miss how awesome it is, and and this this awe, you know, to look at things with awe is mm-hmm. something that we can't lose. You know, we don't want to lose that. Yeah, and in fact, that makes me think. Again, recently, I can't remember what specific thing it was where I was looking at a picture of someplace on Earth. I was like, I can't believe people get to live near this Mm -hmm. natural phenomenon, whatever it was. And it reminded me of a friend who would always say, you know, everybody talks about wanting to go to strange planets and see all these amazing things. And she goes, our planet already has all that stuff. Mm. Yeah. She goes, we have the depths of the ocean and the mountains and all these animals and think how different a squid is from a bird. And she's like, we've got all that stuff here. It was given to us to enjoy and to wonder at and to marvel at. And we ignore it because we want to go somewhere else. And she wasn't, she's in favor of space travel. She loves science fiction, but she's like, we're missing what's right here. And yeah. I've never forgotten that. It's, you know, it's yeah. that lack of wonder because everything's been explained. And so now it's all down to the cold equation, like you say. Yeah, right, right. And, uh, you know, he says, um, so that a nightmare long engendered in the modern mind by the mythology that follows in the wake of science. I really like that line because it's mm. really true. There, it has become a religion, Mm-hmm. Um, to a lot of people, uh, you know, to, it, just to look at science and religion as an exclusive thing, it's one or the yeah. other doesn't make any sense to me at all. Yeah. Um, but yet, you know, this, this belief in science, which is really just a method, right? And mm-hmm. and you're, you're basically trusting in people to do the method right and not to cheat on their, Um, you know, their findings or whatever, you know, when, Mm -hmm. when the way that science is structured right now, they really need to get that money, right? So in order to get the money, they need results in order to get results. Sometimes they don't get results. And, uh, so I'm just saying that sometimes the motivation is not in the right direction. Well, you know, and that's interesting because I wasn't thinking big picture like that. I Mm -hmm. was thinking of things like going to the doctor. Yeah. And you go to the doctor, and the way the doctor talks about these tests and things, it's like, this is an absolute. Mm. And and I guess what I'm thinking of is there's a test that the doctor's like, oh, you really need to do this. And I was like, well, I've been looking into that. And, you know, for this kind of test, it says that of women of my age, 15% might find something wrong. She goes, yeah. And I said, so that means 85% don't. Mm-hmm. 
She's like, yeah, but if you're one of the 15%. And I'm like, so that's being used to make me afraid. Yeah. And I was like, I don't gamble, but I'll gamble on this. <laughs> I don't feel like that. I don't yeah. want that test. I don't feel like those odds are this, you know, based on everything else I know, my family history, all these things. I'm like, I'm just going to take my chance on this for right now. Right. Yeah. You know, but the science, like, but there's a percentage. It could happen. Mm. And then there's that it's held over your head. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. So, no, I totally get what you're saying. You know, science, when done correctly, is how we find out things about the universe, right? Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with what religion is. Yeah. Nothing. So, I, I just don't understand how it's gotten connected in our yeah. society. But, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but don't you think people tend to think that way? Kind I of Black do. and white. You know, we, yeah. we like to have everything planned out for us. And isn't that the problem that, isn't it Weston, who's the one who... Wants yeah, to, I, I would say um, I would say that this is plan. Yeah, I would say that for sure. I think Weston and Divine are both like uh, materialists, right? They're oh yeah, they're definitely not thinking this way at all. You know, they they seem to not care. You know, they're flying through space. You know, he's feeling terrific sitting in the sun, and they're you know he's the captor. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like you know passing time. You know, it, to them it's just like well, this is just something that we're doing. Um, but yeah, it's like, um, they're materialists or, um, you know, we later find out, I think that they're conquerors really. Um, they yeah. want to conquer. They're, they're not trying to be part of this life. They're trying to conquer it. Well, and it's funny because divine is, he's a less definite character than Weston, whose idea is at some point. We're going to need to move human beings out to other planets to save the race so that we can keep going forever. And they may have to change in order to adapt to these planets, but that's okay because it keeps us going. And on the face of it, there's nothing wrong with that idea, Mm -hmm. but the methods he's using to achieve it are things like, well, we'll exterminate everyone on this planet or subjugate them in some way, and then we'll move in. And we'll use everything for our own good. Like you say, he's a conqueror. And he can't stop and look at the idea that maybe what you're talking about isn't even a good idea. Yeah. And I think this is really interesting to look at in the light of what was going on in the world when he wrote this. Mm -hmm. Right? So, we're in the run-up to World War II. Mm -hmm. And um, for for Weston, it's like, you know, when you say to someone, hey, we want the human race to survive – and therefore, we want to expand out into space. You know, so that sounds good, right? It sounds like, yeah, that's something that we ought to do. That someone who loves humanity might say that, right? Mm-hmm. But then Weston, at the same time, like you said, is like, well, we don't care how many deaths this causes or how many humans die. You know, it was humans and it was like he, he, he wanted humanity to expand because he is one, but he doesn't really like people, <laughs> You know what I mean? It was well, like, you know, he, he wants to go out there and then he he actually in his head, um, hey, it's fine if we destroy, you know, it's like genocide against Well, he thinks whatever. they're animals anyway. He right, doesn't think right. they're really. Uh, yeah, which is blindness, right? It, right. You know, if he just right. took a second to look at that. But right. the, um, you know, I, I don't know if you're feeling the same way that I feel, but, you know, that, that to me is what Weston is. It's like an extreme of the philosophy of 
conquering because you think you're better than other people or, you know, you, you are superior. Therefore you have a right to expand. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's funny. I didn't think of it in that way because I just felt like he thought they were animals at best subhuman mm-hmm. at the best. And therefore you're right. It is that idea of I can do what I want to with these resources. But the thing I really thought about him was um, he's an idealist. He has this one idea. Mm-hmm. And the idea is we have to keep the human race going, but only the ones who qualify as what I call human. So it's okay that they were going to do this to Harry or whatever his name was, because um, he says, the boy was ideal, said Weston sulkily, incapable of serving humanity and only too likely to propagate idiocy. He was the sort of boy who in a civilized community would be automatically handed over to a state laboratory for experimental purposes. And Devine says, I dare say, but in England, he's the sort of boy in whom Scotland Yard might conceivably feel an interest, you know? Mm. And so he's basically contrasting right there. Here's the way that British society is going to go. We don't care if this boy is not as intelligent as you think he should be. He matters. And this guy is like, He's an idiot, which also goes along with a lot of the way people were thinking idealistically at the time, because this was also right before this. Wasn't that when they were doing um, sterilization of people who weren't very intelligent Mm. and um, might have defects and all this sort of thing? And that was actually considered to be a really good thing. I mean, Mm. in the U.S., there was a big movement for it. and It was very progressive. (laughs) Those people don't need to be having babies. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And it led to things like Planned Parenthood and all that kind of thing. And we still have that legacy now, right? How many stories have we heard of people who've said, here's my child. We were told he had Down syndrome and we should abort him and it's perfectly normal kid or people who have a Down syndrome child and say, yeah, it's hard, but the difference he's made in our lives, we could never have had any other way. Right. You know, and (laughs) so, but we still have that thinking Mm -hmm. better not to take the chance. Better to do it the way that we know is right and best because this is like us. And that's kind of what he was talking about because at one point he also has Ransom say, well, I've always been even against vivisection, Hmm. you know, on animals testing and that kind of thing. So um, I just looked at it as kind of a, a chance for him to kind of take a philosophical stand of logically extended what would this kind of thinking lead to? Yeah, and I, I think wasn't that, thinking about World War II also. Right, yeah, but, but I think that you're right. I think that he's basically saying this is like the logical outworking of this philosophy. Yeah. Is is Weston, right? Yeah. Weston is where you're headed <laughs> if you keep thinking like that. I think yeah. that's what's what he's kind of using Weston for. Yeah. And Divine, like you said, Divine is like a sidekick kind of who, who – Feels the same way, but not strongly. You know, when confronted right. with the reality, he's like, hmm, I don't know if this is right anymore. <laughs> but it's like too late. He's already kidnapped Ransom and brought him to Mars for sacrifice, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I know. And it's not even like he think he cares. Right. It's not that right. he thinks it's right or not. It's like, will I get caught? Right. Yeah. He's he's not a fully developed character. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. He is just the sidekick. You're right. And yeah. it's... I remember being so interested in that because I was like, well, here's a really strong statement being made against this kind of thinking. 
which has existed always, right? right you know, these people right. aren't right. Let's get rid of them. And that goes hand in hand with what Lewis raises as an idea, which had never really occurred to me, where the, um, I can't remember who it was who says it. It's either the Oyarsa or one of the three species on the planet who says, well, a world's not made to last forever. You know, because we have this idea, if something is the way it is, it should be that way forever. And you look at people talking about climate change. Let me just say right now, I'm not, you know, I recycle. I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not saying things aren't changing. And I'm not saying maybe we didn't influence it. But you look at the history of the planet. This isn't the first time this stuff's gone on. It happens. Yeah. So warming, cooling, all this. And um, I guess it was, uh, oh, Augre. Is that how you say his name? The Sorn he's with. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. And so they're talking about the fact that on the old forest of Malacandra at the top, it used to be warm. Everything lived there. Well, now it's all fossilized. Yeah. In fact, I I think I remember him saying, don't you guys realize that this planet is way older than the Earth? (laughs) Right. You know? Right. So, yeah, all this change has happened here already. And you guys are changing now. Well, we find out later that change actually happened because um, the Oyars of Earth Hmm. in his rebellion hit it with his wing or whatever, his hand, Mm -hmm. and killed it all. But he he says... um, where was Oyarsa when all this happened to the Harandra? So where was uh, the ruler of the planet who he's going to go find when this all happened? He goes, where he is now? And he says, could he not, he could not prevent it. And he goes, Agre says, I do not know, but a world is not made to last forever, much less a race. That is not Mal-Adil's way. And Mal-Adil is way over the Oyarsa it's eventually it becomes clear that you know there's the young Maladil and there's the old one. So this is Jesus and God, mm-hmm. the Father. Oyarsa is like the angel that runs the planet, and this is also medieval thinking, and it's also Catholic thinking hmm. that based on the Bible, you know, there are angels of places, there are angels. We all have our guardian angel, mm-hmm. but yep. like a planet can have an, an angel, a city can have an angel. Uh, you know, God will have his messengers essentially watching over a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And that's more medieval than modern, but you'll still hear like, you know, what is it? Mary is the patron saint of America. Yeah. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of goes along with that same way of thinking about angelic protection. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of using that for Mars, but that whole idea of a world's not made to last forever, much less a race. Right. Yeah. And, that's not the way we think. No, not at all. Yeah. Because we want things to say, we, we, this, this is pretty good. We can fix it. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's all us. You know, this is yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good Come point. On. This is everything. Yeah. And that's Weston. <clears throat> that's Weston. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We're, we're Weston with the climate change thing and all the mm-hmm. arguments and the... Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and I, I've had that same feeling about the uh, environment too. It's it's a shame at how political it's gotten, but because you know I'm all for clean air. Let's mm-hmm. let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that, and, and let's and um, saving the species as many as right. you can. Yeah, I mean there, there's so it. many things that I'm for, but this right. this you know we're going to be dead in 12 years is insane. You know, um, you know I'm I'm sitting in a place that used to be underwater. Um, yeah. So I mean, we know Me we know that there is a constant, you know, whatever's happening on the earth, you know, where we were in a constant mode of change, and there's mm-hmm. there's no way. It's just you know our our lives are are short, I guess, and 
you know, for us to build a house on the beach and to expect that that house is going to last forever on the beach. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's really not a reasonable thing to think about or a reasonable thing to believe when you look at just geological, you know, uh, mm -hmm. just the, the state of everything, you know, it's obvious that we're in a state of flux and everything changes constantly. Yeah. So, but yeah. And, um, the, the Oyorsa thing, I mean, that was just so cool. Um, I love <laughs> yeah. it. So you, you said earlier that, you know, so, uh, Mars, um, gosh, the name of it, Melandra? Malacandra? Malacandra, right. Um, okay. is like unfallen, right? Mm-hmm. And... So it was are, so great. It was so not neat. You know, so Oyarsa is, like you said, that this angel. And I loved how uh, Lewis had him, you know, I say him, the, the angel, yeah. describe how, well, I'm not really here. <laughs> you know, this is in the heavens and I'm in the heavens. Right. And this is in the heavens. <laughs> so it's like I'm kind of in the heavens and I'm here. You know, that was fascinating. It was like, yeah, yeah you know, that's really neat. And then um, he starts to describe, well, you know, there was one of, you know, the Eldil, you know, and I can hear Tolkien in this. I don't know if you can. It's, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's like, you know, when he's talking about words and this is plural and this is that, you got to think that those guys oh, were yeah. talking about this. It was neat. Yeah. But the word Eldil is mm -hmm. like the word for angel. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'm just going to call them angels, you know, yeah. so yeah. Eldil, you know, and so Ayarsa is an Eldil and there was a lesser Eldil that told Ransom that he needs to go, go see Ayarsa in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, to close that, that thing, you know, where he was, Weston and Divine thought that they were grabbing Ransom for sacrifice. <laughs> But yeah. Ariorsa just wanted to talk to, to a human, <laughs> a human like, that's really not these two. You know, can you bring me someone yeah. else to talk to? I can't get, I can't get anywhere. And all they could think of was in terms of the way they thought, right? Which right. is a sacrifice, an experimental subject. Oh, and it was awesome. You know, you know Ariorsa yeah. calls Weston the thick one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In fact, I have thick. I have a quote here. You know, you thick one have told me nothing of yourself, so I will tell it to you. I just oh, I love it. Yeah. In your own world, you have attained great wisdom concerning bodies, and by this you have been able to make a ship that can cross the heaven. But in all other things, you have the mind of an animal. Oh yeah, loved it. That was I mean, great. it just feels powerful. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, it was great. And then Oyarsa says, "Well, yeah, you had." You had uh, uh, one of the Eldil in charge of the earth, but he rebelled. The Oyarsa, he, they had their yeah. own Oyarsa. Right. And he so was So was bent. Oyarsa a, a name or a title? I thought was, it was like a so, title. So Oyarsa would be what the one in earth is called too. I yeah, didn't know like, if that was named. You know, there's different levels of angels. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was like, uh, I would say Archangel, but that's not the highest level. We right, think it right. sounds high. Yeah. But they're the ones who come down to talk to us, so no. <laughs> so, right. I appreciate that on their part. But um, yeah. yeah, so because um, I think he didn't, he kept saying that Oyarsa of um, Earth. Yeah, he may have. I, I just don't recall that. Yeah. Part of it. Yeah. So, you know, he describes how, well, the one over the Earth rebelled and, you know, he bent. They called him the bent one. Yeah, I love because they don't have a word for for wrong or mm -hmm. um, yeah, like something's wrong not, with you. Not you're not fallen. doing the right, right. thing. <laughs> they haven't so fallen. They call it bent. You're not straight. You're bent. I'm right. like, I love that. Yeah, me too. 
Yeah, the Earth Oyarsa started destroying everything. That's what happened to the moon. There used mm-hmm. to be life on it. That's what's wrong with it. He tried to do it to Mars, to Malacandra, and that's when he got stopped and he got shut in with his Earth. And we're like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Oyarsa <laughs> like, says, you know, I did not know that the Bent One had done so much in your world, and I still don't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. Because when Ransom is finally honest, he, he for a long time doesn't tell them everything about his world or our society because he knows how it sounds to people who don't, or people, creatures, intelligent beings who don't have that. They don't mm-hmm. have wars. They don't have uh, people starving to death. They don't have overpopulation. They don't have you know, all these awful things. So he's hiding it and he finally just lets it all out. Mm-hmm. And that's when um, he's with the Sorns. Mm-hmm. And so he's telling them everything. Because everything he tells them, he tells slavery, prostitution, everything. And it, one of the pupils says, um, it is because they have no Oyarsa, said one of the pupils. It is because every one of them wants to be a little Oyarsa himself, said Agre. <laughs> yeah. They cannot help it, said the old Sorn. There must be rule. Yet how can creatures rule themselves? Beasts must be ruled by now, and now is uh, an intelligent creature, mm-hmm. brain, and now by Eldila, and Eldila by Maladil. So, man essentially angels and God. Mm-hmm. These creatures have no Eldila. Eldila, they're like one trying to lift himself by his own hair, <laughs> or one <laughs> trying to see over a whole country when he is on level with it, like a female trying to beget young on herself. Two things about our world particularly stuck in their minds. One was the extraordinary degree to which problems of lifting and carrying things uh, absorbed our energy. The other was the fact that we only had one kind of now. They thought this must have far-reaching effects in the narrowing of sympathies and even of thought because they have three Mm. completely different species who are all intelligent and deal fairly with each other and understand that each other's completely different, yet they're also all complementary. And, um, your thought must be at the mercy of your blood, said the old Sorn, for you cannot compare it with thought that floats on a different blood. It was a very mm. tiring and very it was a tiring and very disagreeable <laughs> conversation for Ransom. <laughs> that is so cool. I mean, this is like what science fiction can do, right? I just yeah. love it. You can yeah. you can say, well, how could it be different, right? Well, you can have mm-hmm. multiple species on the same planet. And how would that foster understanding, you know, when you know, because we're the only ones here, we feel superior to everything and uh, not so much part of everything is separate from everything, right? Yeah. And we're also mm. kind of always trying to look for something that's also smart. So this is right. why, you know, everybody's like, but whales are really intelligent. Elephants are. Dolphins are. Gorillas mm-hmm. are. But we never find anything that matches up to us. But we're always looking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And it's... uh. It was so great because there's a part of it where different parts throughout the book kind of emphasize this. And uh, one of my favorites was when Ransom is running away so that he draws Divine and Weston after him so he can go to Oyarsa Hmm. and also keep Weston and Divine from killing anybody or creating more havoc. And the way that the Hrasa, the first breed or species that he meets, tells them to go almost kills him. And then he runs into the Sorn. He says, 
That's just like a harassa. <laughs> he would write a beautiful poem about your death and talk, and they would sing it forever and talk about how amazing you were instead of just taking a few minutes to send you a better way. <laughs> he goes, oh, but man. that's them. They love to mm. sing and do poetry and everything. And, he, and then these guys collect knowledge. They're like scientists kind of. And then uh, there's another one that's all mechanical. Hmm. The, I can't say the name. Mm-hmm. You, did you listen to it? Yeah, or, I did, but I don't remember. Biffle Triggy. Oh, uh, gosh. P F I F L T R I G G I. Yeah. Anyway, whatever those were, I kind of imagined them looking like little moles with yeah. um, Piffle Triggy. Little Piffle Triggy, and, I think. Yeah. And miners' hats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know they weren't based uh-huh. on the description, but that's all I could think of. <clears> yeah. They're working away. Yeah, so good. Yeah, piffle tr- piffle triggy, I think is what he called it. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's that's fantastic. And they said that's why they didn't need pets, hmm. because on one level they all understood each other as intelligent creatures who they could all talk to as equals, if although different. But on the other level, there were things that they could laugh at and appreciate and enjoy between each other as you guys are so different Mm. and they said that kind of fulfilled the need for a pet as a companion too right right and i thought that was an interesting double-brained way to look at it yeah i agree i I think he mentioned that in that postscript didn't he oh i think i know why they don't have pets yeah i'm I'm looking for it but i don't see it but i think that that's i think you're totally right let's see um oh okay so and they didn't understand it because they didn't know what pets were. He says, mm-hmm. one just sees why when one sees the three species together, each of them is to the others both what a man is to us and what an animal is to us. Right. Yeah. They can talk to each other. They can cooperate. They have the same ethics. To that extent, a sorn and a hross meet like two men. But then each finds the other different, funny, attractive as an animal is attractive. Some instinct starved in us, which we try to soothe by treating irrational creatures almost as if they were rational, is really satisfied in Malacandra. They don't need pets. Mm. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yep. And and also, but what that does, too, is it allows them to appreciate the other animals and their um, place in things in a way that we might not. So the... um, the creature that they're hunting, the, um, <laughs> oh my gosh, Naraki, mm-hmm. Naraki, which is the Nakra, that they're like, oh, there's this dangerous thing in the water. It's like, sounds like a shark. Hmm. You know, it's full of teeth and it's going to eat you if it can. And they go out in boats to kill it. And partly they're killing it because, you know, you need to keep the water safe for the little kids and all, and for everything. But part of it is just that this is kind of what you do with it. Hmm. Right, so hunting right. is okay. Mm-hmm. And he says, um, so he longs to kill it. I hope I'm the first one. If he kills me, my people will mourn and my brothers will still desire more to kill him. But they won't wish there weren't any more, nor do I. How can I make you understand when you do not understand the poets? The Nakra is our enemy, but he is also our beloved. We feel in our hearts his joy as he looks down from the mountain of water in the north where he was born. We leap with him when he jumps the falls. And when winter comes and the lake smokes higher than our heads, it is with his eyes that we see it and know that his roaming time has come. We hang images of him in our house 
and the sign of all the Hrasa is a Hnakra. In him the spirit of the valley lives, and our young play at being Hneraki as soon as they splash in the shallows. He says, and then he kills them? And he says, not often them. The Hrasa would be bent Hrasa if they let him get so near. Hmm. So it's just, it's one of those things that he also somehow in that way captures our love of nature, how you can love a tiger, even while you don't want it to go down and kill the people in the village, Hmm. but you can appreciate its grandeur and might and what makes it what it is. Mm -hmm. But this is on a different, higher level. Yeah, that's cool. And that's the same way they kind of are relating to each other as different animals, but also as intelligent human being or, you know, now yeah yeah i like that thought you know yeah as as people and as animals both right 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 yep way to go mr lewis (laughs) the the other thing um i wanted to make sure to talk about is i really loved how okay the the conversation between weston and oyarsa is just so powerful and i think you know what lewis did with Ransom there was just brilliant. Mm-hmm. So Weston didn't speak the language very well of the Oyarsa, but Ransom could, you know, because he, he took the time to learn it and he's super good at languages. Right. So, so um, the Oyarsa says, tell, tell Ransom that, you know, cause Weston was like, I don't know how to say this in your language. And, and he said, well, just tell Ransom and Ransom will tell me. Right. And by doing that, it was it was really amazing because it was like Ransom had to translate this philosophy that he hated <laughs> into his own words, and so he was like, honestly, and, to, yeah, and honestly, right? Yeah. And he and and the words that he would use just sort of revealed the ridiculousness of Weston's position. Oh, that's a good point. And it was just so well done. So I have just one example here. Oh yeah. Um, so. Weston is in the middle of explaining his position. You know, we, we should be able to, you know, <laughs> uh, well, you'll see. But uh, he, he uh, I'll just start right here. It says, yeah. um, she began Weston and then uh, Ransom interrupts. I'm sorry, but I've forgotten who she is. And again, Ransom is translating. So, but I've forgotten who she is. <laughs> and then life, of course, snapped Weston. She has ruthlessly broken down all obstacles and liquidated all failures and today in her highest form, civilized man, and in me as his representative, she <laughs> yeah. presses forward to that interplanetary leap which will perhaps place her forever beyond the reach of death. And then Ransom, he says, resumed Ransom, now he's talking to Ayarsa, uh-huh. that these animals learn to do many difficult things except those who could not, and those ones died and the other animals did not pity them. And he says, the best animal now is the kind of man who makes the big huts and carries the heavy weights and does all the other things I told you about. And he is one of these. And he says that if others all knew what he was doing, they would be pleased. He says that if he could kill you all and bring our people to live in Malacandra, then they might be able to go on living here after something had gone wrong with our world. And then if something went wrong with Malacandra, they might go and kill all the Hanau in another world. And then another. And so they would never die out. <laughs> yeah. You're like, holy crap. You know, that's just, yeah. you know, so, so by having to put it plainly like that, 
he's just, you know, all the any obfuscation that Weston is trying to do is disappears. In yeah, the translation. it's stripped away. Wow, Scott, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it like that. That's great. Oh, I just love it. Yeah, you're the, right. That's that, a that, that a whole great... scene is my favorite part of this book. Yeah, just... that device mm-hmm. to show. Here's what I think of that. Yeah, 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 and and to to just I mean it amazed me that a person like Weston would be standing here in front of an angel, explaining mm-hmm. to him. Well, this is my philosophy, and this is why I'm doing what I'm doing, and not have any self-awareness at all that this might just be horrible, what you're saying. But that's that self-righteousness of only having one idea in your head. I mean, we see that so much now. Right. No one stops to look at the other person's point of view. Yeah. Well, no, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're seeing it, unfortunately, um, fostered in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> so crazy. good. So good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and um, I highlighted one more spot here. Yeah. Right at the, uh, a few pages down. Um, so, uh, see, Weston says, tell him, and said Weston when he'd been made to understand this, that I don't pretend to be a metaphysician. I have not come here to chop logic. If he cannot understand, as apparently you can't either, anything so fundamental as a man's loyalty to humanity, I can't make him understand it. Yeah. But Ransom was unable to translate this, and the voice of Ayarsa continued. So Ayarsa is saying, I see now how the lord of the silent world has bent you. There are laws that all now know of pity and straight dealing and shame and the like, and one of these is the love of kindred. He has taught you to break Mm -hmm. all of them except this one which is Mm. not one of the greatest laws. This one he has bent till it becomes folly and has set it up thus bent to be a little blind Oyarsa in your brain. Mm. And Mm -hmm. now you can do nothing but obey it. Though if we ask you why it is a law, you can give no other reason for it than for all the other and greater laws which it drives you to disobey. Do you know why he has done this? (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Just awesome. Yeah, and that's, boy, and that really applies to the stuff we're talking about, too, yeah. is like everybody just gets this one idea, <clears throat> and that's all there is to it. That's right. And um, we haven't uh, said what the silent world means. You know, yeah. so out of the silent planet, the reason it's called the silent planet is because we have no Oyarsa. It's like we're disconnected from the rest of the world mm-hmm. or the rest of the, the universe, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So right. it's like we're disconnected from the natural world. You know, we have and, no song of heaven. <laughs> right. And the yeah. Oyarsa is also, um, well, he's bent our world. So he's clearly still here, but he's not, nobody else, he's been cast down, essentially. You mm. know, it is Satan. Yeah, right. And so he's been sent down. Because they said, you know, your Oyarsa was the greatest of all. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really fascinating to think about it from the point of view of here's what things could be like if the world hadn't fallen. Yeah. Just taking that one idea and going, huh, how do we look at that? Hmm. What would it be like? Well, Mars. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is, and you said he for the Oyarsa, but he is a he because remember that little um, drawing of the different planets? Mm-hmm. 
And he figured out, oh, this one's Venus. Okay. And yeah. he goes, oh, but still, but breasts had been drawn on it. He goes, oh, still female. Huh, how interesting. <laughs> that's right. And that's, that's right. That would be a medieval mm-hmm. thing also, right? You yeah, know, That's sure. why we think of the Jupiter as the big old man and all, you know, uh, these things all, the planets all have their own qualities. Right. And, it, yeah, and Mars. And the Oyarsa either reflects yeah. it or gives it to them. I'm not positive. It's probably a back and forth thing, but. Right. Mars, because mm-hmm. it's red, I, you know, the blood and. Well, the warrior, um, you know, we think of it as being, it's, I guess maybe I'm thinking of Holst, (laughs) the planets, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you know, the Greek god. Yeah. Yeah. The Greek god. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Just love it. Yeah. It was just, uh, to find all that stuff in this book, I didn't know what I was going to find, but I didn't expect that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is this is the kind of book I like. You know, gosh, it, it just even grew. I, I love it even more uh, than I did an hour ago. Right now, <laughs> I know the so, more you get to talk about this stuff. Yeah, you just kind um, of see this other things. So, well, and one of the other things I I wanted to touch on just in the idea of it being uh, a look at an unfallen world is that the creatures, the I say creatures, the different species are all acting the way they should. Hmm. So uh, when they, he talks about at one point, and this is chapter 12, and he's talking about their warlike nature, but he's also saying, well, for a lot of reasons, so we need to grow thing, extra things. And he says, well, but if somebody wants something, we'll just give it to them, some food. And he goes, well, but what if you don't have enough for yourself? Well, why wouldn't we? Well, if you have too many young, why would that happen? <laughs> and he says, well... Okay. Um, he says, is the begetting of young not a pleasure among the hrasa? And he says, oh, a great, very great one. This is what we call love. And, he, and then Bransom says, if it, a thing is a pleasure, a human wants it again. He might want the pleasure more often than the number of young that could be fed. And it took, mm. <laughs> the hrasa is like, wait, what? Hold on. So it says it took him a long time to get the point. And he says, you mean, he said slowly, he might do it not only in one or two years of his life, but again? Yes. But why? Would he want his dinner all day or want to sleep after he had slept? I do not understand. Mm-hmm. And Ransom says, but dinner comes every day. This love, you say, comes only once while the Hross live. And then you see it because this, the act of making love in their world is just part of the whole thing he says but it takes his whole life when he's young he has to look for his mate then he has to court her then he begets young then he rears them then he remembers all this and boils it inside him and makes it into (laughs) poems and wisdom wow and ransom says but the pleasure he must be content only to remember and the the hoss says that is like saying my food i must be content to eat (laughs) ransom's like what (laughs) <laughs> he says, a pleasure is full grown only when it is remembered. You are speaking, human, as if the pleasure were one thing and the memory another. It is all one thing. <laughs> so, That's an awesome thought. Yeah. And so he's now clearly, this is just. Yeah. A thought experiment. He's not saying just have sex twice in your life and that's all you need because you just need right. two kids. Yeah, but it's it's with everything. It's like, you know, hey, I, 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 this box of cookies I have here, I right. like this one and therefore I want the rest of them. I'm going to eat the and whole box. And it's the same thing with money, right? Yeah. You know, we get yeah. a little bit of money, we want the rest of it. You know, it's just, right. it's a human thing, right? Yeah. 
And so there, it's being pointed out here that you have to take it all into context of your whole life and the whole meaning of the whole thing. Yeah. All the cookies, all the money, all the what does it mean really in the context of your life? Right. And that's really interesting considering that what we're doing is we're recording this on Mardi Gras, getting ready to go into Lent with Ash Wednesday tomorrow. So this will come out next week when we're in Lent. And that's kind of what we're doing is it's a reordering of our priorities. Wow, that's beautiful. Yep. It really is. Yeah. It's it's how much do I need of this thing? I'm giving up something that I like or that has gotten to unhealthy proportions. It gets in between me and God. It's mm-hmm. taken over its place that it shouldn't have for me. I'm going to clean it out and, and take stock, yeah. offer it to God. And give myself a chance to get closer to him and to grow. That's right. And that's kind of what he's saying about but the remembering of the of the pleasure is the same thing as having it. I mean, that's it's all one thing. Yeah. That's a that's excellent. Really nice to contemplate that and so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do we find balance? Yeah, how do we find balance? It's and it is just that's our nature. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Boy, yeah. I like the, this country I'm in. I think I want another one. <laughs> <laughs> I get have the armies together. Yeah, yeah. Let's go get one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's go take France. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If some is good, more is better. Right. 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 Exactly. And then how many times do we regret it? Well, I'm never going to drink that much again. Hmm. Yep. Never going to have that much pizza again. I'm never going <laughs> to, you know, take France again. Right. The French yep. only wish. And, <laughs> yep. And it's all the, um, well, now I've forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it again for something else or for the same thing even. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's it's beautiful to connect that to Lent. That was awesome. Oh, it's Because just, it really, yeah, that's, that really, now I feel like I'm ready for Lent. I know. It made me, I was really hoping I could kind of uh-huh. embrace the sacrifices of Lent. And I was like, this really, and I hadn't thought of that till we were just talking. So. Nice. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Like I said, it's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this book is interesting because it is a good adventure. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're making it sound like it's just philosophy, but as he explores things, it's like one of those old adventure stories where you go to the lost world, you know? Right. Yeah. And often in those, your companions are the ones who you find out, oh, this guy's a jerk. Oh, this guy's a new friend. Oh, the, you know, mm. it's the same way as he's discovering with the species. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. Yeah. For and sure. I love that touch of uh, at the end. Did you catch that where he's talking about, oh, how could I have thought these were Martian canals? These are clearly what the filtrigi, biffletrigi, built. I wish uh-huh. I'd gotten there to see it. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, that's neat. That was cool. Yeah, they're allowed yeah. to have their mechanical stuff because that's how they're made. Mm-hmm. They love it. The more difficult, the better. Yeah. So it's that, because otherwise, if you just think about the other two species, it's like, well, the gathering, the information, the natural living, and the poetry, that's all that matters. He's like, no. And they're saying, well, I can give this, uh, the Soren says, I can give this thing to one of these guys if it's not too easy, they'll do it. They're not interested if it's di- if it's not difficult. <laughs> and that's that part of us that's like, I want to explore. I want to study the science. I mm. want to look deeper. Yep. 
you know, that right. impulse. Yeah. And that's a good impulse too. Yeah. That's a good one. Yep. Yeah. He's not tossing any of that out. Mm-hmm. It's just, how are we using it? That's right. That's right. And keeping our perspective. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Just cool. I'm so glad. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And we got two more of these. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. And they're very different books. I was also really surprised at how, I mean, I was looking forward to, because I knew Paralandra meant Venus. So I was Mm -hmm. like, Oh, what's he going to find on Venus? And what he finds on Venus, I was like, what? Holy crap. (laughs) So he got a real imaginative bent. This made me respect his imagination a lot. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But before that, what do we have? Before that, we have a movie, right? Let's see. Oh, uh-huh. yes. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. <gasps> oh. <laughs> um, I love it. Yul Brenner. Yul Brenner, yeah. Mostly, mostly shirtless, as I recall. <laughs> uh, Heck yeah, this will be fun. I, I'm there. <laughs> I'm already there. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Little Charlton Heston. Oh, him too. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. Yep. He's fine. He's good. He can he can leave his shirt on. That's fine. I don't care about that. I love it. <laughs> cool. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that's going to be fun and perfect choice. Be, oh, fun. Yeah. Cool. It'll yeah. be a hoot. Yep. All right. And then after that, we'll do Paralandra. Yes. So Paralandra will be uh, two episodes away. Mm-hmm. And then two episodes after that will be that hideous strength by C.S. Ooh, Lewis. Back on Earth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thanks. And we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. You betcha. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.